Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie, and I will not relinquish that title. I don't care how many years we're doing this podcast. I am the legacy newbie. And with me this week, as always, it's Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Not much, Pat. I'm just over here window shopping for cars. Yeah, uh, I know. I, I, <laughs> sending our guests the cars he wants, specifying, I want them in this color. Our guest, says, this- that, our guest says that they are a car salesman. So I'm like, all right, here I go. Yeah. <laughs> Take advantage of the situation. Yeah, our pre-show just became Jerry shopping uh, on the dealership website, trying to find out. Yeah, so. I want a unicorn of a car, Pat. It is very difficult to find. I found it once, but I had to fly to Florida for it, and I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> And I just haven't been able to find it since. So I'm just continually on the hunt, even though <laughs> I work from home now and I'm a little old lady who only drives to the supermarket on Sundays. And that's the only time I get in a car. But <laughs> <laughs> gosh, damn it. I'm specific. I know what I want and I want what I know. Well, good for you, Jerry. I'm happy for you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm good. I just uh, locked into uh, the Legacy Pit open. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, gonna start uh spinning up some magic online decks this week and uh gonna start shaking off the ring rust to uh to get back in the game man i'm excited and then i'm also going to the i'm also locked in for we're both locked in i should say for the 100k in uh, st louis uh about a month after that so got our plane ticket well we got our we got our plane voucher (laughs) we got our plane voucher which is from uh we had to cancel because i looked at the voucher and it was for like it was for like the end of March and like lockdown. Yeah, it was started. like because we were or still beginning of April or something. We were still like all set to go up to like probably three, four weeks before it was going to take place. Like basically yeah, I right booked, up until listen, Jeremy. I booked the tickets on March 17th, which is yeah. like <laughs> COVID was already happening. And I'm yeah, like, but we it, did we're not, going. We did not realize the like extent of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, fuck it. We're going, Jared. We'll we'll be fine. Whatever. We're young men. We're healthy. Whatever. We'll be good. I, I feel I feel the like the the date of uh like COVID really affecting is like when the stock market crashed. I feel that is like the point in time when people are like, oh shit, this is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. I personally at the end of January, but I think that the flight was actually the 17th. Yeah, that's, I don't remember. Sense. But irrelevant. Um, but yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So we got we got a great guest on this week, Jerry. We do. We yeah. are going to talk about some storm action, but a flavor, a flavor storm. Though. Yeah, I was going to say not just any storm. We're talking the one and only Ruby storm. I'm really excited for next year for Sapphire storm to come out. <laughs> and then I can have my, my Ruby and Sapphire. Is there going to be a crystal storm? Well, you need it. You need to get both. Otherwise, you can't get all all 150 Pokemon. They only oh. they only put some in each one. So you need. Oh, to, this is a Pokemon reference. Yeah, it's a Pokemon. What I tell reference. you about Pokemon, Jerry? We're not allowed. I don't on the show. care about those little <laughs> alien beasts. I don't care. <laughs> you don't care. All right. No. All right. All right. We'll shelve that for now. We'll come back Thank to you. that. We'll come Thank back you. around. We'll come back Thank around. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we can loop it back to some magic. We have an amazing guest, Mister Tony Del Prete. Or pre, how how do you say it? Uh, it's Del Pret. 
Double. You can call me. You can call me by my moto handle. It's always been my gaming alias since I was younger. Tony Scaponi. Tony Scaponi. Uh, recent, uh, I believe, top eight of the challenge last week with Ruby Storm. Yeah, uh, we got a spicy list to talk about, and also coinciding, you have a uh, new article coming out on the EpicStorm.com. Yeah, that's right. I believe that's that's uh, that article is going to release uh, about twelve hours before this episode comes out. So, once people listen to this, they can hop over there and kind of read the in-depth uh, breakdown about the deck. That is for sure true. I mean, I, I've kind of rebranded it as the Epic Ruby Storm. Oh, <laughs> you're getting under the the umbrella, the Bryant Cook umbrella. I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's good and you know deliberate reason for it, and it, it starts to become evident when you start looking at the list. You know. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah. I, I really. So you kind of gave us a little preview of the article that you've been working on, and man, this is. This is a lot of text, dude. You have done a ton of work here. How long is it? How long have you been working on this for? Uh, probably about two, three months. Probably wow. closer to three months. That is like that is more like a like this is more like a a thesis paper than like an article. <laughs> this is really no, but like it's it's. I mean, I don't and and you know, forgive me. And if we need to cut any of this, I'll, obviously I'll be happy to. But I mean, you really go into breaking down like every single thing in the deck i mean every card and you have um you know kind of like what its purpose in the deck is the kind of the role that it serves and mm-hmm. obviously i haven't gotten to read this because we just got sent this but just kind of like scrolling through it i'm like wow this is really uh you, it's very clear you put a lot of time and effort into this man I, so that's awesome yeah it, it started off as uh you know, just the ramblings of of a madman basically and then <laughs> I just I I could not stop you know, I would, I would jam and stream and write and jam and stream and write and, you know, and, and chat with people on, on discord and uh, just kept going at it. And this is kind of the end result. I, in fact, if I didn't put some sort of deadline uh, for myself, I'd probably still be writing. I could probably write a book on Ruby. Star, to be <laughs> awesome. Uh, so give, give our listeners a refresher. We talked about Ruby storm. I want to say six, nine months ago, Pat. We, uh, we, yeah, when uh, I was kind of making waves, mm-hmm. um, I forget the guest that we had on, uh, for that episode, Cliffy, right? Yes, it was, it was Cliff. I was thinking yeah. it was Cliffy, but yeah, so Michael Clifford, uh, he's another Ruby Storm player. We had him on to kind of explain the deck, uh, but I'm really interested to get into the, the variations that you got, Tony. But what's kind of like the baseline Ruby Storm, just to give our, our listeners a point of reference, uh, just Ruby Storm in general. Yeah, like what's what what does the deck do? What what's it trying to do? Um take advantage of Ruby Medallion, which is a two mana artifact that uh causes your red spells to cost one less uh generic mana. Mm-hmm. Um so all of a sudden these typically what would be maybe quote unquote bad cards uh are busted with a Ruby Medallion in play. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and then ultimately it's a it's a storm deck, so it's you know, chaining a bunch of uh, spells together and then eventually killing with uh, with grape shot, right? So yeah, Ruby Medallion, part of the Medallion cycle from I want to say Tempest. Yes. I want to say they were yep. from originally. Yep. Um, they really Commander All Stars. They were kind of fringe playable for a long time. Like people would try them out, but like they they really hadn't seen any play. I want to say in since like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when uh, 
like Sapphire Medallion was seeing play with like predict type lists, uh, these like mono blue Xerox decks, uh, Xerox decks. Uh, but then now Ruby Medallion coming into the storm, it makes sense because like Ruby Medallion is like a land in, in a way, you know, it makes your red spells cost one less, but it just rewards you the more spells you play. So it just plays in perfectly with the storm mechanic. You know, you're, you're just both heading in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're taking it to the next level level, making it the epic Ruby storm. Uh, but it looks like adding in some uh, Bigri, God of Storytelling, which is a Kaladesh card. Bergy, yeah. Uh, I mean, the big thing that that separates it from a traditional Ruby Storm list is it is ditching uh, bonus round. Uh, if uh, Most people who know me in this deck know that I am, uh, if you're trying to build, if you're building a budget version, sure. Uh, but if your goal is to uh, be the most competitive as you can possibly with this deck um you shouldn't be i don't think you should be playing bonus round hmm. and and why is that so bonus round has been a staple of the deck since it it came onto the scene what what don't you like about it uh the short answer is just we have uh there's more cards to choose from now and it's uh we don't have to settle right we don't have to you know mix together all these bad cards to make a feasibly good thing we can run a lot more just plain old busted cards Mm -hmm. um basically it's a trap bonus round is a trap it costs double red the deck has difficulty uh with uh initial red sources uh and when you're playing against uh say permission for example um you got to make your initial red sources for it plus your action spell and then uh most likely uh, another action spell after that because a smart player will allow the bonus round to resolve um, and then you cast the spell and as long as they allow the bonus round trigger to resolve their counter spell is also doubled mm. so really it's it looks like a three mana spell but it winds up becoming like it's really hard to pull off in the face of uh, at least permission you know so it's basically an expensive spell and a very fragile spell. Right. And not only that, but it, it tends to pair with um, non-permanence, right? All these ritual effects, because those are the ones that you're you're copying with bonus round. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially the deck, if it fails, it fails spectacularly. You know, on the flip side, it wins spectacularly, but uh, it makes it deceiving because when you win, you really win. But the problem is you're not often winning. <laughs> <laughs> you get that object permanence. It's like, because the highs are so high, even though they're really spaced out, you just remember how good it feels winning with the deck. So you still, you still think the card's good, even though more often than not, it's contributing to you losing the game than winning the game. Right. Right. We should probably say what bonus round does. Huh? Yeah. So bonus round is one red, red for a sorcery until end of turn. Whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, that player copies it and may choose new targets for the copy, which is pretty good with card draw and ritual effects. I, I'd have to imagine. Yep. Yep. And uh, you know, people who, who advocate for bonus round typically then advocate as they should for past in flames, which to me is kind of a, it's not good enough to warrant uh, bonus round. You know, the typical argument would be like, well, yeah, your cards in your graveyard, but you have past in flames. 
but it, it's kind of a, a clunky card. Not ideal. I think it's better left to the sideboard. Gotcha. Um, so let's talk about what the deck does have instead. So you've added the uh, the B, uh, Birgi. Uh, what else have you added to the list? Yep, and I would imagine uh, even bonus round uh, variants are going to run. Uh, I would suggest still just for Birgi. The card is oh, okay. busted in half. It's one of the reasons why this deck is uh, actually competitive now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would make the argument. Um, but to you know, specifically talk about the differences between the Epic Ruby Storm and, and uh, you know, traditional older uh, Ruby Storm variants would mostly be the sideboard, right? You look at, there's no Past and Flames in the main deck, right? There is one on the sideboard because we can still very well make use of it. Um, but Echo Veons, you'll notice there's one in the main, one in the sideboard, much like the Epic Storm. Um, we run four LEDs, Lion's Eye Diamond, which, uh, regardless of how you build the deck, you can make arguments either you know for or against. Uh, unless you're running, of course, this version, I would strongly recommend Lion's Eye Diamond, right? Bonus round, you could probably go either way, depending on it, on how you build the rest of it. Um, but also peer into the abyss in the sideboard. These are cards that typically you just see in the Epic Storm uh, prior to. Uh, myself personally running, uh, I didn't really see people running Echo. I didn't see Peer into the Abyss. Uh, and it and it made me think, like, why? Why wouldn't you run these cards? <laughs> so, so to remind people, Peer into the Abyss is from Corset 2021. For black, 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 target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half their life rounded up each time wins the game so because it says rounded up you copy it infinite times it essentially says draw your deck go to one life is how i'm assuming it goes what are you talking about with bonus round or oh yeah i guess with uh with the bonus round oh i'm sorry yeah, you, you would you, you would could very easily kill yourself with this card if you were messing around too much with bonus round i could see an oops moment gotcha i see what you're saying so this this is what you're running in 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 lieu of it because you're not you're not relying on the bonus round engine anymore you have all these options available to you right although i would still suggest if you're running a budget version without leds and you're running bonus round still this card should be in your sideboard it's too good to not because even the bonus round uh, version makes more mana than it knows what to do with and all you need is a burning wish uh and some metamorphose and it's just it's an eye win button but yeah be careful with your bonus round don't kill yourself you can always <laughs> just turn it around and target the other player if you realize it mid bonus round trick. oh yeah it is target player you can just have them lose a bunch of life um why not enter the infinite though over peer into the abyss is that uh is that the big red one or the big blue enter the infinite is uh draw your library put one card from your hand on top of your library Uh, yeah the big blue one it was used in omni show what Uh, does it cost uh i forget you never really kept pay its mana cost in omni show (laughs) (laughs) i think 10 oh no more it's eight blue 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 so that's probably why you're not running it so right so a full 12 mana (laughs) peer into the abyss right it lines up very well with a lion's eye diamond three black yep and then, um, and then four colorless right and uh, as much as the deck does often make more mana than it knows what to do with 
Uh, it's also very good at just making exactly enough on say turn one, mm -hmm. uh, somewhat reliably. So to 12 would be, uh, extensive plus seven it wins you the game so if they both win you the game you might as well go with seven right right now walk me through kind of an opening uh, couple turns playing uh the deck you know what is your game plan what are you trying to establish what are you looking for in your opening hand um so usually either turn one grid or turn one ruby medallion um or turn one jessica's will into like an actual turn one uh the deck only needs five cards to to make a turn one peer into the abyss right so um for the mana base you're making use of ancient tombs and city of traders to mm -hmm. power out those ruby medallions which cost two and then uh defense grid also costs two which basically shuts shuts down any uh control decks trying to interact with you in the first couple turns just basically mana leak every spell your opponent plays uh during your turn yep um oh, yeah. and now are you just going to be aggressively burning like lotus petals and stuff to get to get fast turns like are you being conservative like are you trying to build up a mana base or are you just going for that explosive openers so the general idea is uh you have the explosive openers but uh enough permanence in the deck where not all is lost uh, if and when you fizzle or are stopped for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, permission or discard or, you know, whatever, um, you know, cards like Chrome Mox, uh, just having soul lands, um, obviously defense grid cost reducers like Bergy, you know, oftentimes I will blow some resources just to get a cost reducer in play. Uh, Ignite the future is, I call it a pseudo permanent. Mm -hmm. in that i don't know if you're familiar with this card it's similar to uh act on impulse except it has the light up the stage effect where the cards stay until the next turn yep so it costs a little bit more it's three and and one red for you know exile uh three cards and it, you can play them until the end of your next turn and then it also has a uh, a flashback cost that is more attainable than you would think until you I was, start. I was going to ask if you ever cast it for its flashback. And those At seven and a red, it seems pretty pricey. And those three cards are off the top of your library. So ignite the flames, three red sorcery, exile the top three cards from your library until end of turn. You may, or until the end of your next turn, uh, you may play those cards. If this spell was cast from a graveyard, you may play cards this way without paying their mana cost. Flashback of seven and a red. Right. Kind of feels a little bit like uh Yagmoth's will, just a just a tad bit. <laughs> <laughs> um you just really power rip through your deck. It is, especially when you get some cost reducers going. It's uh it's it's pretty pretty incredible. And and the deck also can be very resilient against stuff like Narset and Hull Breacher. Uh in fact, in matchups where I'm expecting that sort of thing, I will pop one into my sideboard so that I have a target with Burning Wish that is still a, you know, a pseudo wheel effect or mm -hmm. six oh. in the scenario. Because the deck oftentimes winds up with, uh, I call it virtually infinite mana, right? For all intents and purposes, you have infinite mana. And in that scenario, um, you know, being able to draw six is, is pretty nice, even in the face of uh, that sort of effect. True. 
So what are, uh, what are kind of your bad, bad day situations? You know, what, what do you hate to see? I'm imagining Thalia is probably not uh, the top of your guest list for uh, people you're inviting to your birthday party playing a <laughs> list like this. Thalia <laughs> uh, is annoying, but it, you know, considering we have cost reduces, we can directly yeah, uh, counteract. Um, but it, you know, it can get us sometimes, obviously. Yeah. Um, really like matchups that are bad are just generally combo with disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so doomsday is pretty rough. Oops. All spells is probably our worst matchup. Um, show and tell any sort of show and tell variant can be difficult. Um, you know, in fact, uh, Delver, depending on the flavor can be, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. We could do a whole podcast on playing against Delver, but yeah, because I mean, taking a look outside of defense grid, um, you really just have no answers uh, for people picking picking you apart. Uh, and then also, I just imagine since you don't have any discard or counter magic, just any combo deck that says I'm going to go faster than you <laughs> is going to be a huge problem. Right. In which case, it becomes uh, a race, which yep. honestly I'm fine with. Where yeah, so very... what, what is what what in a, in a goldfish situation what would you say the average uh win the game for this deck is we're faster than tes definitely we're faster than ad nauseum uh we're not as fast as oops all spells obviously mm-hmm. uh we're faster than doomsday because they usually have to pass i mean they're not particularly you know fast they have the disruption in addition to their combo um but if i were to put a number on it uh, if there's, if it's a goldfish, right? If there's no, we're not worried about force will and, and whatever it is, we're definitely under turn two, nice. you know, and yeah, that's I mean, how, when we do steal games against oops, all spells, it's cause we win the die roll and we turn one them. And then we can usually manage to get one of the next two matches. Mm-hmm. So what's, uh, what's the nutter butter hands. What's like the, you know, you're playing against oops, all spells and you just windmill slam this hand down. Uh, so a turn one peer hand, um, you know, you play an ancient tomb, a lotus petal, you Jessica's will, all of a sudden you have seven red and all it takes is even a single led at that point. Yeah. Um, so wait, I don't think we've read that off uh, yet. Jessica's will two in a red for sorcery choose one. If you control a commander as you're, as you cast the spell, you may choose both. Okay. That's irrelevant, but mm-hmm. add red for each card and target opponent's hands. So add seven red. If you're doing that turn one or exile the top three cards of your library you may play them this turn that's pretty flexible i like that in this list yeah it's it's just strictly better than act on impulse yeah early game it just you can have an explosive win and then late game you can be the much needed card filter (laughs) the the funny part is when you have an opener and you go oh this is a turn one and then your opponent mulligans and you go Okay, and then they mulligan again. You go, oh, oh no! no. You're like, no, stop! You can have the card. stop. Please stop. <laughs> uh, but there, hilarious. there's all sorts of other busted turn ones that happen. You know, even just like ancient tomb defense grid, lion's eye diamond echo veons. It's like, yeah, just giving someone a forced mulligan that they, you know. The number of times I've been Wheel of Fortune turn one and then drawn like a seven lander or a no lander. <laughs> it's just, it's painful. Yeah. Nice. So do you ever play uh Bergy for uh, the backside of it? What does the backside do? It's busted. It's busted? It's busted in half. Drawing seven is one thing. If you draw seven with this card in play, you win the game. 
So the backside of Bergie is Harnfell, Horn of Bounty, four and a red for a legendary artifact. Discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. Mm-hmm. All right. I can definitely see that. So, I mean, you just fuel your way through your deck. Though I've noticed a lot of your like card draw and like card advantage in the in the deck is off the top or in the exile zone. So do you like run into a problem of just not having cards in hand? I guess you have the Echo of Aeons to refill uh, when needed. Well, if you have Echo in your hand, you pitch it to yeah, you pitch uh, it, draw to horn, and yep. then if you have an LED, yeah, then you draw your seven, and now you've you know you can flip those into fourteen instead, which is a total of twenty-one looks. Mm-hmm. It's it would be difficult to to lose. At that point, I, I guess to answer your question directly, there are times where our best line is like a horn pass situation with one or two cards in our hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so those situations can get a little bit sticky sometimes. Gotcha. Yeah, I got to say a lot of readers in this list. <laughs> a lot of a lot of commander cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, honestly, this is I feel a commander player's dream. Um just it feel it feels like a very fun deck doing just really big haymaker type stuff. Yep, it's more resilient than it looks, though. Ignite the future does some work. Nice. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I mean, storm decks for me have always been like I, I'm I'm a dumb player. Like I like the big brain stuff doesn't doesn't uh, it's not in my wheelhouse. Um, but I dig the deck. I'm just so like. How how reliable is your turn? Is like, are you able to go off on turn one because you don't have any like counter magic, right? That I saw in the in the deck list. So you're basically just like, you don't want to water down your deck list to to protect your combo, right? So you're just kind of force everything through essentially. Uh, yeah, I mean that's where defense grid comes into play. Sure, um, yeah. And having a higher number of permanents so that you can go for it but not blow your entire hand. Right. Or put a lot of it in play. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if your turn one is ancient tomb chrome mox into attempt to turn one you with a card or two still in your hand, well then your turn two still has three mana to start off plus right. a couple of cards. Right. You know. Hmm. Um, but pretty reliably to answer your question directly, as far as it's it's threatening of a of a turn one or turn two kill, mm-hmm. it tends to either you know, threaten that or threaten a cost reducer or defense grid into a turn two, hmm. or at least a turn three. Interesting. So if I was to pick up this deck uh, tonight, what would be, uh, you know, your number one piece of advice for, for people picking up the deck? Um, if, if you're just looking to have fun, then sure. Don't buy the lion's eye diamond. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it does make up a, wow. A place at a lion's eye diamond is three grand, just about. God damn, they they spiked. But if you already have LEDs, uh, the rest of the deck hardly costs anything. I can't believe how much city of traders are. Yeah, that's crazy too. Yep. Yeah. So if you have city of traders and LEDs, the rest of the deck basically is like <laughs> is like a standard deck. <laughs> yeah, you it's can't... all like commander stuff and <laughs> guards prints in the last like year or two. It's, uh, it's even sweet. ancient tombs are super expensive right now. Yeah. What is going on? That's crazy. Dude, everyone's been stuck at home with a bunch of disposable income. <laughs> I guess like, so, oh, yeah. They've been boring it H2 into... is already on the reserve list. Like, oh, That's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of true. 
I'll put it this way. The lion's eye diamonds are, are a lot considerably more important than the city of traders. Yeah. So yeah. If you're going to skimp on either then you know, cut the cities first. What's been like the most valuable lesson you've learned while like tuning this deck that you really never know until you just start jamming stuff, or at least I, I never quite know. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I went into this with the general theory that, uh, a permanent based it, if it's possible a more permanent based uh engine is going to be better than these spell based engines that this hmm. deck usually uh operates on because when i first started playing i think i picked up you know just some random list out there just to have some fun it was kind of my stop on the way to building the epic storm yeah um and it's if i'm being honest the most fun i've ever had with with a deck i've always enjoyed really? ruby storm a lot and yeah. it only became more fun when i started playing it interesting what's the chain lightning in the sideboard for did you do did you talk about that uh no it's i mean it's basically just a bolt if you were to run a second one i would run a lightning bolt alongside it okay. uh, obviously you can get it with uh burning wish mm-hmm. it has a lot of important targets uh, basically, post board, it's usually brought in against like Thalia or any of these hate bears and stuff mm-hmm. as just an additional um, removal piece. But you do have to vary your removal pieces by name of card and by mana cost to dodge things like uh, Meddling Mage and Sanctum Prelate yep. and uh, Chalice and you know stuff like that. If you don't, basically, if you don't run. Like I'm running a chain lightning and a shatter skull. And if yeah. I weren't, if I were just running, say, like Pyroclasm and the grape shots and relying on Burning Wish, we're literally cold to a Sanctum Prelate on two. Mm-hmm. You know, and until you lose a dozen games because they play one card and you go, Well, <laughs> I guess I'm scooping it up. Yeah. <laughs> you start to realize you can make small concessions to uh to fix stuff like that so this might be a stupid question but why chain lightning over lightning bolt if lightning bolt has more versatility the the main reason is because you can get it with burning wishing game one. oh right right okay yep that makes sense it's so funny when like deck building restrictions like that cause you to just look for cards that fit a very specific niche mm. and you end up with just like grabbing some like random common from ice age. That's absolutely terrible, but it costs two mana and it's a sorcery and it deals three damage to any target. So <laughs> that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> or how about uh, extract extract? Yeah. What does extract do? It's one blue and you can take one card out of your opponent's library. Huh, really? Yeah. It's pretty good but- against that's his oracle from odyssey <laughs> that's true oh so you just Talking have one a of, niche card yeah so if so if you were just like losing to doomsday all day every day like the guy at your local and shop yeah and oops all spells and they just play it non-stop you just throw a single extract in your sideboard burning wish for extract and basically win the game <laughs> yeah it helps it helps a lot <laughs> i remember this card now looking at this art it's like it's this guy sitting down and he has this look of horror on his face as his actually it looks like it's an elf his head is like separated out and someone is magically like surgically removing their brain <laughs> it's, that's pretty, it's dope. pretty badass art we gotta add this to uh the next art review show yeah probably. that's pretty good it is cool matt cavada wasn't matt cavada like a uh one of the art directors too why do i know that name i don't know I don't recognize the name. He definitely was a, I mean, he, he might've even been. All right. 
All right, I gotta go to deep dive in that. All right, anyway, that's pretty cool. Any other uh, kind of spicy sideboard uh, wish targets? Um, I guess faithless looting is is kind of spicy. Oh yeah, well so. Uh, well, people don't tend to run it, and it's been one of the later uh, things that I've plugged in. Uh, it can help when you have an echo in your hand, but you don't have any way of discarding it. Oftentimes you wind up with, you have an echo in hand, you have a burning wish, and you're like, oh. If you have enough mana, you can get Reforge the Soul and get you know the best of both worlds, draw seven and put your echo into your yard, which is pretty sweet. But so it, if you have your cost reducers in play, like mm-hmm. a Bergy and uh, a Ruby Medallion, then your, your burning wish is mana neutral. The faithless looting is mana neutral. It becomes quite, uh, quite a a reasonable line to take, especially when you have dead cards in your hand, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. now you can essentially draw two, or you know draw two, discard one, put the echo where it needs to needs to go. It's um, it's a nice little, uh, flexible, spot to run. Now, tell me about the two Chandra Awakened Infernal, uh, Inferno in the sideboard, because that is definitely an unusual one. So that's a Chandra Planeswalker for M- M20, four red red, six loyalty. The spell can't be countered. Each opponent gets an emblem, uh, or it's plus two. Each opponent gets an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, this emblem deals one damage to you. Minus three Chandra Awakened Inferno deals, deals three damage to each non-elemental creature. And then minus X Chandra uh, deals X damage to target creature Planeswalker. If a permanent dealt damage this way, would die this turn, exile it instead. Um, so this is a Bryant Cook special. He loves this card. It's his favorite card in the deck. Maybe his favorite <laughs> card in Magic. <laughs> no, he hates it. He's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not a fan at all. But, um, you know, it's there to, to beat up on uh, control decks. It's uh, another couple pieces of uh, removal that don't cost two mm-hmm. um, that you can bring in. In it comes in matchups more than just those blue decks, right? Like if your grids are blanks, you have to bring cards in. And when you have all these like role players, you need some number of like reasonable cards to bring. Um, so oftentimes it winds up coming in in that spot as just like additional action. And coincidentally, in a lot of those matchups, it's actually quite useful. Um, it's our only true sweeper unless we wind up playing Pyroclasm. Um, I know people are attached to their like fiery confluence <laughs> or cave-in or anarchy. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I go in-depth on this in my article, but uh, those are, in my opinion bad cards hmm. they're, they're kind of memes they're kind of you know people want to run them because they're cool um it, it's funny you mentioned that because i remember that reminds me of a conversation i, I forget who it was at watsi but they were talking about how they wish they could reclaim old card names because there's just a bunch of just really badass card names that are taken up by just shitty cards and <laughs> anarchy reminded me of that like you just have the card that is anarchy <laughs> it's like <laughs> Imagine freeing that space up and uh, getting something cool with it. But sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> so I, f- I feel, I feel with these decks, uh, these engine based decks, the hardest thing with sideboarding is knowing what to take out. You know, you mentioned boarding out the defense grids when it's, when it's like 
uh, a mm-hmm. dead situation. But I imagine Chandra is is pretty good against like some of like the blue white control lists, which you would also want the the defense grade with. So like what yep. what are you what else are you boarding out? I'd say the most frequent thing that I board out is Metamorphos, mm-hmm. um, especially the example that you gave. If they have you know whole breacher effects, um, but basically the the deck is very fragile the way that it's built and if you offset the you know uh equilibrium whatever you want to call it of mana to action by too much if you dilute your deck too much um it can really just the wheels can start to fall off i was gonna i was gonna say like these engine decks feel like a finely tuned machine and if you just if you remove one spring the entire thing just like flings apart in all directions (laughs) right it's not as like precise as something like ad nauseum or tes that have these tutors that are that are more like deterministic and direct and cantrips to kind of glue it together like this whole deck is just a bunch of glue all over the place and once you start (laughs) messing with that and messing with the how much it's it can just like you know fall apart Mm. and so if i if i am shaving stuff i'm always conscious of taking an equal amount of action or mana unless you know a particular matchup uh, you know, would say otherwise in, in that equation. Um, but Manamorphos is one of the only cards that it's not necessarily uh, either. It's oftentimes the card that you imprint, right? In your opener, usually you make decisions based on what you have, not what you possibly could have after casting a spell. It's kind of like the Street Wraith slash uh, Gitaxian Probe effect where like you keep the double Street Wraith and, uh, you know, cycle them both and then pass the turn with shame (laughs) Um, but it just leads to 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 openers that like you're not quite quite sure of and it doesn't uh, you know taking i don't always take them all out you know i'll shave a couple of those maybe one piece of mana um you know maybe one piece of action Mm -hmm. now uh one thing we've seen with like the karn echo decks is a common play for them is they'll just try and get some uh, advantage on board and then echo as soon as possible mm. uh, to just, uh, you know, establish that, that early lead. Are you doing that often with this deck or is echo like very precious and you only want to use it in, in a specific situation? Uh, it's either or depending on the scenario, what our hand looks like, uh, what we're playing against. Um, we don't run as high a density I wish we could, but for our deck, it is just a bit too clunky. Um, a lot of times when you start exiling cards, six mana is a pretty tall order. You cannot, you can't really put it in your graveyard um, when it's in exile, you know. Um, but yeah, that that deck. Uh, while we're on that topic, has been has been difficult to to deal with. Oh <laughs> yeah, because you you just like sculpt your hand and just it falls apart when they echo or well when they're not turn one echoing they're they're turn one going up you know we don't have any interaction so it's like you just you just play past each other basically it's usually whoever wins the die roll or whoever like fizzles and gets unlucky or it's spectacular and exciting (laughs) (laughs) lots of sparks lots of sparks uh, so, so with your run to the top eight last weekend, what did you, what did you run into in the Swiss? Uh, so 
You know, it's funny. Last time you asked me this question, I think I totally misheard uh, you. And I remember saying something and then like later on listening to it and being like, wow, I didn't think I <laughs> thought he said something else or whatever. But uh, so I'm prepared this time. I, I have it in front of me. Uh, yeah. So I lost my second round. I went six and one. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first match was against Doomsday, which I actually two owed. So it's like, all right, this is our tournament. This is uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, that's when you know it's your day, <laughs> right? And then I lost my second round to Lands, which uh-huh. is a pretty slam dunk match. Uh, I was like, okay, all right. Do they just like turn to Merit Lige? Um, the the first game, which is like the the most of slam dunks in the in you know the the matchup, uh, we fizzled when we were really high percentage to not like we churned through, I think we had 32 cards left in our deck. And if we had run into a burning wish at any point, we would have easily had the game and didn't. And then we still had opportunity and still wound up, you know what I mean? It was just, it was unfortunate. Yeah. That's Um, rough. And then we couldn't, you know, two post board games is, is difficult to, to pull off. Yeah. They do have some sideboard. For sure. So you lost lost to lands round two. What was round yep. three? We won two, so we did manage to get one of those games. But uh, round three was death and taxes. We two owed. How how is death and taxes? Because I traditionally death and taxes is is well equipped to deal with you know these types of engine decks. But uh, does ruby medallion just set off value enough that it that you can still get the those wins or how how's that play out? So we can deal with almost anything it has to offer. It's once once they start layering effects, it becomes more and more difficult. So there is mm-hmm. um, a bit of a, a clock on us, not in the traditional sense, but more so in just once they put enough permanents into play, we it's we can't really win. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally that has a tension with post-board games, what they pack, that being uh, Mind Break Trap, uh, which, you know, if you're, if you're under the gun to get going real quick, obviously Mind Break Trap can close the door on you. Um, so they can kind of put you in a corner. Uh, and then, of course, deafening silence. Right. And mm-hmm. I think we should take a quick pit stop to talk about deafening silence because that's kind of a huge sure. uh, topic for, for this deck. For the longest time, I, up, I'll, start, I'll start with this. If you're going to choose to deal with deafening silence with mono red uh, ruby storm, whatever variant, whatever cards you're running, um, and... Maybe I'm wrong, but engineered explosives is the the best answer. A lot of people run anarchy, which is just it costs four. It, you yeah. know, like if I were to run that card, I would be bringing it into the main deck, uh, not in the sideboard. Because mm-hmm. especially against a card like Deafening Silence, you're only casting one spell a turn. So oftentimes you're spending multiple turns just to get the mana, you know, to cast your your burning wish and then to cast it it's it's not gonna happen <laughs> that one time that it happened okay it's not gonna happen often enough where it's worth running the card you know what i mean um so the other more common card that people use and i guess a little more defensible is ratchet bomb the problem with ratchet bomb is it doesn't kill it the turn it comes into play and a common line with this deck to deal with deafening silence is managing to get a horn into play that's the backside of a bergy mm-hmm. the one that that flips through uh, exiling two cards at a time uh, it does that without 
casting spells, right? So you can, if you can manage to get the card in play, usually you can, you then have seven cards in your hand because you're not really doing much, or at least a high enough count where you're, you're, you're digging through a ton of cards with the objective of finding your, well, if it's a ratchet bomb, you're screwed because it's not going to kill the deafening silence, right? But if it's an engineered explosives, you could craft a, a, a turn where you, you play it and blow up deafening silence and then go off. Mm. Um, but like I said, not, not useful with, with ratchet bomb. You can still kill chalice on zero with a uh, engineered explosives. If you have an ancient tomb, um, because people tote ratchet bomb is like having that bonus of, Oh, you can kill chalice on zero. It's like, well, you still can. And, and there's other applications for engineered explosives, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're making colors. There's corner case scenarios where it can come up and be useful, or you can play it for zero, which in the face of a Bergy is a right of flame. Um, there was a time where I was playing Opal and that card might be in the future of this deck at some point. Uh, in which case, obviously that helps for, metalcraft mm -hmm. um, and has for me in the past it's convenient that you can play it for zero whereas ratchet mm -hmm. bomb uh you can't um but i guess i mean generally you're just asking how's the matchup uh, mm -hmm. i feel favored um maybe that's just me from playing it so much at this point and uh currently and for the past i don't know over a month and i think this is the correct way to go about it i don't run an answer to deafening silence and there's a lot to the answer as to to why but basically it's not it's not worth the two sideboard slots um and i found myself uh i guess the short answer is there's too many cards to 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 bring in mm -hmm. against them you know mm -hmm. there's if you're you got to bring in your removal pieces um it, you got to bring in, you got to keep defense grids for mind break trap and you're bringing in two engineered explosives to, or whatever you're using to deal with their deafening silence. Like it's like eight cards, six, seven, eight cards, whatever it is. Even if you manage to craft a scenario in which the answers that you're bringing in line up with the problem that they're creating, which odds are that's not going to happen. Um, you then still have to, have a deck that functions well enough to kill them before they deploy more problematic cards. And generally speaking, even if you're bringing that many cards, they have more problematic cards than you have answers for. Mm. Right. So it's kind of like this, you know, they play a problem you dig for and maybe get the answer. And by that time they played another problem. Right. And you, <laughs> you know, and you, right. it's, I, I found myself struggling with that matchup where I would rather, have the two slots open, um, leave the grids in, uh, even be a little more lean on my removal. Uh, I won't get too specific into that, but just basically playing to what my hand is and hoping it, it, it lines up. And then if it does great, my deck will actually function and kill them. Mm -hmm. uh, if it doesn't, you know, I move on to game three, game two is the, the toughest. We generally win game one because hmm. we're, you know, very high percentage of the time going to win turn two or yep. if they're on the play and they get a thallion to play we're probably still going to win turn three or turn four yep um and then it, it's a matter of of post board hmm. do you find that sanctum prelate is like a problem playing against death and taxes as well uh yes and no i want to say generally speaking they play less of it these days mm 
Um, I don't know exactly how their deck construction has gone, but it's I, I've seen less of it. They have more uh, cards to work with. Uh, what's that one? Uh, apparition, uh, Skyclave Apparition. Oh, right, right, right. Yep. Um, they're playing more of that 3-1 that has the like Narset effect where each player can only draw one card. Um, they have a, a larger pool of cards to choose from, and I mm -hmm. think they've generally trimmed on it more. Uh, if they weren't, that card is quite uh, problematic. Yeah, because hmm. they're gonna name two. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, right. It's it's the it's the correct name. Occasionally, someone doesn't, but they should. And usually, because that's your burning wish, right? Like, it's the yeah, it's the yeah. burning wish and grape shot. And right. you know, even if you bring a grape shot into the main, like, haha, it's it still costs two. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, I'm looking over your article here, and I have a little spoiler. You have under uh, your your trap cards, your your bad engines, Helm of Awakening. Mm -hmm. I, I what's your what's your what's your feelings towards this? You, you uh, I I love the card. I jammed yeah. this for almost like two weeks because I wanted to be absolutely sure. I mean, look on its face, show and tell looks like a bad card, but <laughs> the, right. Yeah, <laughs> your opponent gets to put one in two. <laughs> right, right. But you know, the the deck leverages it and and it works. So it's feasible that it could be the same way with Helm. Uh it opens up all sorts of busted things. Like it 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 reduces the cost of your Ruby medallion. True. You know, it's not just instants and sorceries, it's not just red spells. It is all spells. It mm -hmm. reduces your echo, it reduces your peer, reduces everything uh, let me tell you it, it feels pretty good to to play a ruby medallion that literally costs zero <laughs> um but uh after much 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 testing it was proven to just be um you know the liability yeah get, it, spending mana to pass the turn to give your opponent a turn in which their spells cost one less sounds mm -hmm. pretty bad mm -hmm. because it it is pretty bad and <laughs> you know i had the obvious things in mind like obviously it's going to be bad against show and tells but you don't realize just how bad it can be until like you pass the turn and your opponent <laughs> plays two hate bears on their right. turn too. right thalia like they, thalia <laughs> right or thalia wasteland oh like, sure ugh. yeah I think the real thing is why it, like it looks like show and tell on the surface, but it's totally different. Is that you cast show and tell, and both you and your opponent put your stuff in at the same time. This is you cast Helm of Awakening and then pass, and then, pass and then, your, and then your opponent <laughs> kicks your ass. It's like you handed your opponent a piece of rebar. It's like it's like the howling. It's like the howling mine issue, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly like the yeah. howling mine issue. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is dope art though. It is. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it's fun. Don't get me wrong. With that card, the deck is really consistent and fast. And, yeah. you know, but the deck is already that. Hmm. In fact, I'm to the point where if some sort of kick ass cost reducer came out, I'm not even, and I might run some number. Uh, but it would be a small no number if I did, but I'm not even sure if I would run more past the eight that we're running. Hmm. Like Bergy is busted. Bergy's just that good. It's busted. It is uh, just objectively a lot more powerful an effect uh, over a Ruby medallion, right? It doesn't reduce a generic. It adds a red. Hmm. 
So that means if your card is already reduced down to, you know, past the, the point of it's now mana neutral. One mana spells are now mana neutral. Uh, zeros now have a right of flame attached to it. Like your Lotus Petals are now split rainbow rituals. Your LEDs are now four. They, can, they add four. Right. <laughs> you know, it reduces the cost effectively of your Ruby Medallion, of your, you know, anything. I feel I'm going to sleeve this up because that's what I always do. I always just sleeve up the deck whenever we talk about it. I feel I'm <laughs> going to fall flat on my face, though, with this deck. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly has uh, a, a learning curve. Like when, and they're like, you'll still do well and have a ton of fun, mm-hmm. right? But they'll just be spots. I mean, for a good month and a half, and one of my excitements, uh, one of my sources of excitement for the deck were like, I was winning X amount. And then every time I play a league, I'd be like, okay, well, we would have won that match if I hadn't have punted. And we could have won that match if I hadn't have punted. So like <laughs> that could have been a five Oh, if yeah. I, you know, could actually play this deck. Is it one of those decks? Like, it seems to me like storm decks are like super unforgiving, right? Like one mistake and you've kind of just thrown the game away at that point. Yep. Yeah. So like, that's one of the reasons why I like Delver decks so much is because there's so many opportunities to claw your way back. You know what I mean? Like, like you can make some horrible, horrible decisions and you can still win games. And I've, I've actually won plenty of games where I've made horrible decisions, but it seems like this is a deck where like you get super punished for those things. You you can, Uh, it also can just win out of nowhere. So there are times where like you really screw up and then, you know, you draw echo vans when mm-hmm. you have leds in play and you're like oh okay We're good <laughs> it's all gonna be okay <laughs> awesome any all right any tips for me i'm gonna sleeve this up set 10 tickets on fire don't keep no red source hands ah okay okay uh don't do it does lotus petal count as a red does lotus petal count as a red source absolutely Okay, so I can get by with like Ancient Tomb Lotus Petal. I'm good. Yeah, you can, depending on, you know, the matchup with the hand, you know, texture your hand is and and whatnot. Just don't fall into the trap of, but if I draw a red source. Oh, yeah. Don't. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're on the draw. Unless you're you're already on a multi five, you can start considering whether, you know, not having a red source is better than a multi four because it's Mm. not better you know what i mean that with the new mulligan rules like i said you only need five cards to even just turn one peer or even just like uh, turn wanting a ruby medallion and ha- is is really powerful mm-hmm. all right i'm probably gonna not listen to your advice because i'm gonna Don't. go for gold because <laughs> <laughs> mama didn't raise no paper-handed bitch so <laughs> but i'll try and keep that in mind i'll try and keep that in mind <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Um, if we want to reel it back to, because I know we're we went off the rails. Oh yeah, we went off the rails. We're still yeah, we're still talking about uh, your your run to the top eight, <laughs> which I knew would happen. I mean, <laughs> always <it> once, does. <laughs> always <laughs> does. <laughs> deafening silence. We get I could fill a whole podcast on that that card in this deck. It's <laughs> it's a hot topic of of debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we two out that, and then a two one infect, which is a tough matchup. Yeah, I was gonna say. I'm guessing that's also a race. It is, um, but I don't know. It's kind of cool that like Bergy is a body, which isn't something oh, yeah. I quite considered until I played the matchup a few times, and it was like, oh, it's nice having this body because sometimes, like, 
if they don't attack into it, mm-hmm. that's a good spot to be. Yeah. In. It's like, know? oh, I know you don't have any pump spells. So right. <laughs> this is just a wall. Right. Yeah. So we got there on that. And then one, two, three, four. So round five was blue green Omnitel. Uh, Not okay. sneak, Jerry. Not sneak. <laughs> Not sneak. How Blue dare you think you confuse the two? It puts it puts omnis- omniscience into play eighty percent of the time, creatures into play twenty percent of the time, versus <laughs> putting creatures into play eighty percent of the time, or well, and then omniscience twenty percent of the time. Tom Tom Smiley took me aside and he explained it to me. Well, there you go. <laughs> I appreciate. Thank you, Tom Smiley. My shout. My early shout outs going to Tom Smiley. Pad. Write that down. <laughs> Okay, you got it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we two won there. Um, that's it's a tough matchup, you know, because it's you wind up in spots where uh, you want to pass the turn, you know, you want that like next turn. I hundred percent have it with the grid, mm-hmm. but and it, the problem against really any blue decks you play against is because show and tell exists. You know what I mean? It's like I have to play in a daze right now because if I if I pass the turn, they might just go ancient tomb kill you. And of course, when you know your opponent is playing it, then it's all the more uh, you're you're in the situation for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we got there. Uh, I know, like I played them, I played against Omnitel, blue green Omnitel in that round and in round seven. So and they were both nail biters they both went to game three uh and then we played against in round six merfolk slash like i think it was like the thought lash combo merfolk i don't know we we wound up 2-0 <laughs> you know it's a good round when you don't really know what your opponent's doing because you killed them too fast <laughs> right. well literally i didn't know because uh, until game two because we killed them on turn one in the first game (laughs) they didn't have any interaction so see this is why tournament reports from storm players that win tournaments are really boring because most of it's just (laughs) like don't even know what he did turn one in both games (laughs) could have been playing anything i think they were playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards actually (laughs) oh and then i lost in the uh in the first round of the top eight which uh and fun fact by the way I have, I've, I think I've top eighted like eight or nine or whatever. I used to play a lot of Delver and I have lost in every single first round. Oh, every, every time I've lost in the first round, it's unbelievable. But yeah, we lost to uh bug Delver, the smog chain of smog, yep. bloom Delver. It's, it was rough. Bug in general is pretty difficult to deal with because mm-hmm. they can't like, but part of the reason uh you know having all these permanents is is strong as you can sidestep discard in a way you know what i mean like i can i can turn one ignite and then put some zeros into play and then it's like you know nice thought sees in fact a lot of times this is one of my favorite plays play out your hand leave echo in your hand and get thought seized and let them put it in your graveyard <laughs> for you um but yeah, against Bug, it's like they have discard. So it, your cards aren't safe in your hand. Uh, they have permission, so they're not safe on the stack. And they have, uh, you know, abrupt decay. So it's like they're not safe on the board either. Hmm. And what, yeah. we got, what we got next? Uh, 
what for the tournament yeah or was that the eighth round that, that was it that was the i get yeah yeah rocked in the uh first oh, round of the top gotcha. as usual oh because you only went six one i thought you were still in swiss but yeah that's rough you know it happens so what anything so you changed the deck slightly from your uh your uh top your top eight list what did what are uh the kind of the minor adjustments you were mentioning uh, i'm currently running an extract over one of the chandras um let's see i think one other thing but i'm not sure i'd have to actually pull up the list mm. um i would have thought by now however that one of you guys would have caught that there's no tendrils of agony uh i mean i thought you the deck usually won with creep shot i don't uh, truthfully know ruby storm that much when we had cliffiana you know a couple months ago that was kind of my first exposure to it and i haven't really seen much of it since so no no tendrils is unusual for ruby storm yeah it's a it's pretty much always i mean i'm sure people out there have have played it without it um but i had never really seen a list without it and i had been i had been running it for a while um and then we came to a point basically when I did a, uh, a donation deck with Bryant and him and I, uh, you know, just kind of like talked about the deck and it was bounce, bouncing some ideas off of him and try to figure some things out. Um, well, because for a while, like I wanted to cut it and I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. Like mm. there's problems that that the deck has where you want to win cons and I don't think. Uh, Empty the Warrens quite cuts it in that like sense. That has a different role. Um, why is why is that? What empty the Warrens? Yeah, why not empty I mean, the Warren? Well, basically, like what I'm talking about is is surgical, right? Okay. Like getting your burning wish surgical, and yep. then you you wind up in a scenario, scenario where you have to bring in a win con, and it's like, do I really want to just bring in empty as my mm-hmm. win con? I mean, it's a fun. You, you can do it, but obviously, mm-hmm. it's not ideal. Empty is more the role player of like, here it is, game one. Nobody really has answers to 14 goblins yep. game one. Yeah. Or you can like sneak it in in other scenarios or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah. So I, I mean, it got to really like ever since I made the change, uh, I mean, I must, I got to be over 200 matches and I've yet to have a game where I was like, well, I would have won that if I had tendrils of agony. Really interesting. It just doesn't really happen as long as you run two grape shot. Hmm. There's, there's double grape shot lines. Um, it, it increased the amount of removal I had in matchups where I needed it. Whereas tendrils obviously doesn't do that. Um, it still obviously helps that, that spot where like, if I'm trying to dodge burning wish, getting surgical, like I just don't care now. And you yeah. know what happens constantly is someone will surgical my grape shot and I'll just be like, Oh, Okay. They missed the second copy. <laughs> I do have another one that's in my sideboard and I still have Burning Wish. So like, oh, jeez. I am a-okay with that. So when you say double grape shot, like uh, double grape shot plays, you mean like casting it twice in the same, in the same. Uh... Yeah. You only need, okay. same you turn. know, roughly the same storm as, as a tendrils. If mm-hmm. you go grape shot, cause then it hits them for, you know, around 10 and then you cast the second one. Yep. Um, one of my favorite lines is, with a really low storm count, but virtually infinite mana and excess burning wishes is chain lightning into grape shot into grape shot. Oh, okay. Hmm. It adds up pretty quick, especially yeah. if they fetch a couple times, you know? <laughs> yep. That's funny. 
I mean, we also have Past in Flames as well. Right, right. Uh, fun fact, you can win through, not that people really play Glacial Chasm. Gl- wow. Glacial Chasm uh, all that much these oh, days. yeah. I can't remember the last time I see the Glacial Chasm now that you mentioned it. <laughs> right. But obviously without a Tendrils, since you're relying on damage, you mm-hmm. can't really win through it. But you mm-hmm. can deck your opponent if they have, um, what is it, 40... I'm sorry, 43 or less cards in their deck currently. Because <laughs> you can you can you can peer them, uh, reforge the soul, peer them again, and reforge the soul. <laughs> and then pass the pass the turn and they'll deck themselves. <laughs> you just have to make sure, or I guess you don't have to make sure, but you won't leave it up to chance if as long as you leave get a burning wish in exile, so that when you reforge the soul, since you're drawing seven you still have access to it mm-hmm. it's i mean you know if a listener wants to sit down and look at that and spend you know some some time thinking about that <laughs> i welcome them too <laughs> for sure that's awesome you gotta find those niche plays that's what makes it <laughs> worth it yeah well basically you put them down to 21 cards off the first pier and then you draw seven so they go to 14 and then the next pier puts them to seven and then the reforge passage i always have to have that in my combo decks like i hate being just stone dead to stuff like mm-hmm. that's why i always run like jace in my sneak and show list so that i can always you know ult jace as an alternate win condition if they have like bridge right. or something like that hey so I, chandra awakened inferno yeah another win condition it, it, it doesn't it just, target Leyline of sanctity it'll get around that it's just it's like a, it's like a security blanket just like mm-hmm. it's like you just need that little security blanket it's like hey even if they have the hard lock we still got an out mm-hmm. now doesn't matter if it's like a 0.001 chance out it, it, we, you're saying we have a chance yeah, so you're saying there's a chance <laughs> that's one of the reasons i liked engineered explosives because mm-hmm. you know the the deck oftentimes draws its entire deck so it can do you know, anything that the deck can possibly do, the deck oftentimes winds up in that scenario where it can uh, exact that it can, it can enact that, that plan. So mm. with an engineered explosives, it's like, I don't know, you can blow up a ley line of sanctity if it's a problem. Mm-hmm. All right. Sweet. Something random. I can dig it. Awesome. Any uh, closing thoughts about the deck you wanted to add in? Um, I don't know if you if you're like me, it's uh you think it's the most fun deck ever, and the only reason <laughs> you're not playing it is because it wasn't competitive and you already had your fun with it, and like you know, now you can compete with it. Yeah, come take another look. Bergy mm-hmm. makes it competitive again. Mm-hmm. Love as long it. As, you, as long as you got your lion's eye diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's not too bad on Magic Online. It's uh 453 on Magic Online, so that's why we'll send all like the rental service stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cheap online. Yeah. Anything else uh we got, Pat, before we close it out? No, I just wanted to shout out our newest patrons from last week. Uh Trinity sent us a really nice message, but I didn't get uh any permission yet to share it. So if if they'd like, we can share it on the podcast maybe next week if they get back to us. But uh, but yeah, just want to shout out shout them out. Thank you for supporting the show. And obviously, if you want to support the show directly. You can visit patreon.com slash leaving legacy. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jerry, let's get into scoops for the week. 
Scoops. Gary, who do you want to scoop in the top eight this week? Uh, I wanted to scoop in uh, Tom Smiley from the Dead Format. Uh, clearly the superior podcast. Uh, you, he took me aside and he helped me out with uh, learning how to play some you know difficult decks. So you know, extra shout out to Tom Smiley this week. He's very generous. Very, very, very generous. Very generous. Humble Tom, we call him. Humble Tom. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bat? Um, uh, I don't have any, I don't have any scoops this week, man. Uh, no, none. All right, just just overall good week, man. Overall good week. Yeah, everyone, everyone gets like a single raisin. No one, yeah, no one exactly. gets the scoop. That's <laughs> just given a single raisin. No, no two scoops, but everyone gets. Yeah, you get one raisin. Everyone gets one raisin. But savor it because it's like nature's candy, you know. So just just savor it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what about you, Tony? Any scoops? Uh, yeah, I want to scoop in all the degenerates that have been hanging out with me on Twitch when I'm streaming <laughs> uh, the Epic Ruby Storm. Nice. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I gotta check it out. I'm gonna sleeve this deck up. I'm gonna set some tickets on fire because I am in no way qualified to pilot this deck, but I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> I'm gonna sleeve this up and I'll see how it goes. Nice. Awesome. Good. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on this week, Tony. It was great to talk to you, man. Yeah. My pleasure. Great. All right. Well, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, we'll have the link to your article in the show notes, obviously. Uh, so you guys can check that out. It is uh listen, like when you're when you're sitting down in the morning with your cup of coffee and your bowl of cereal or whatever you're having and you have some time to kill get into this because it is it is lengthy but it is uh listen if you're interested in this deck i mean it's got it's got everything in here for you it is uh it is well done for sure very well done awesome there's a page on mountain there is a page on mountain that's true yeah i i, I was scrolling past and i saw a mountain and i had to go back to it and be like is that but yes that's exactly <laughs> what it is it's uh you know uh, you see not not so much anymore but i feel like when i first got back into magic you'd see a lot of people like throwing articles out there that weren't really that impressive or groundbreaking or well researched it was just kind of you still see i guess you still see it once in a while now but like people basically people just regurgitating the deck lists of the day or the deck lists of the week this is like this is real work and obviously you've been you said you've been doing it for months and it shows like you don't get this many pages of of uh of work from from just regurgitating a deck list so this is a dissertation <laughs> yeah yeah i was <laughs> like i was gonna call it a thesis honestly like it looks more like that um but it's it's awesome and I'll, i'm excited to see it up on the website and uh and yeah it's great man congratulations a lot of hard work went into this and i'm sure you're happy to to get it out there in, in the public thank you awesome all right well uh that's sound that's it for this week guys um i hope everyone has a great weekend and uh we'll catch you all next week bye Yeah.